Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on last week's podcast, four of our SEP campers joined me in the studio to discuss the first five chapters of George Orwell's famous classic fable, Animal Farm. Well, today we are in the final three days of our summer camp education program for teens. Now, remember, this is also just known as simply summer camp. But uh, these campers are back in the studio with me today, plus one. And we even have an observer today. So this is, this is going to be interesting. We have a nice little group in here. Now, in case you are turning into the podcast for the first time, I might explain that a new feature for this year's summer camp is a weekly book club discussion hour over lunch for all the teens attending camp. Now, every student attending the camp was required to choose to read one of nine books and then prepare to discuss the book over three lunch periods on the Friday of each week. So this is the last Friday of summer camp. This is their last day to uh, discuss their book. Now, these students chose to read and discuss George Orwell's Animal Farm. Now, I think I explained also last time that uh, I decided to maximize it since I volunteered to run a book club that I was going to tape them, save myself a lot of work, and have some extra programs. Now, last week, students, we discussed the first five chapters of Animal Farm. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the last five chapters of Animal Farm. And uh, so I'd like to welcome back Aiden, Isaac, Heidi, Nicole, and our new participant today, Michael, is here with us as well. And so now that's Michael is a girl. So, so we have to get that out there. So welcome back, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Yeah, they are a lot louder out on the fields. I've been out there with them, so, so they're just intimidated being in the studio. All right. So last time we discussed the first five chapters, and uh, I think all of us agreed together. Wow, there's a lot of us in this room. Anyway, I think we all agreed together that uh, that's kind of the pleasant part of the book. It's kind of humorous. I mean, I think it's kind of a, a genius move on Orwell's part to be able to uh, uh, make the animals look like, you know, Soviet socialists and uh, or Soviet communists. And uh, it's really kind of funny that animals are actually running a farm. And by the way, they're doing really well at it. Farms producing. But it's the last five chapters that I think are really tragic. So let's just open up some simple discussion, and I want each one of you to tell me what in the last five chapters was most shocking to you. Go ahead, Michael. First one. Close to that mic now. I think it was really interesting just how much Napoleon makes them work more and how much less food he gives them and how quickly he does it throughout the book. Right, and uh, let me ask you this. Do the animals even suspect it's happening? Not really, and no. when they do, they just reason that they forgot. Right, okay, all right, next. What's other, what else is shocking to you? 
Um, well, I think what's shocking was the, um, well, Napoleon brought all the animals in for a meeting, and then he took four pigs aside with his army, his nine dogs, and they tried to attack Boxer, and then he killed all the pigs for um, complaining about that he canceled Sunday um, Sunday meetings, and then that they basically, it was commanded confession that he they were working with Snowball, who is not really actually around at all. Right. Okay, that's good. I might come back and have another question about that one. All right, Aiden, you're next. I can tell. One thing I thought that was interesting was um, after Napoleon found whiskey and discovered that he liked it a lot, he took the retirement field for all the animals above 12, year, 12 years old, like once an animal reached 12 years old, they were allowed to retire. He took that field that they were going to be allowed to stay in, and he planted barley in it, which kind of shows that he didn't really care. He only cared about the animals that could work, and he only cared about those animals because they could do things for him. All right. All right, that's good. I think I have another question about that I'll come back to. All right, Heidi. I thought <clears throat> I thought it was interesting um, just how obvious it was that um, the pigs were breaking all their own commandments and how nobody really suspected anything. Right, right. Okay, I have another question on that one. Go ahead. Now, Nicole. Um, okay, I think the most shocking part in the last five chapters was when Boxer got slaughtered and everyone first thought, that he was actually going to just a veterinary, but he was actually going to be slaughtered and then glue boiled, and Benjamin had to tell everyone, and then they were trying to chase after him, and the sad part is he was too weak to kick the doors open, so right. he just got killed. Right, so that's that's kind of really sad that, that here Boxer, as uh, I think it was you, Nicole, last time, said that Boxer was really a hard worker, but he really wasn't that smart. And so... Uh, but, but he certainly was the inspiration to a lot of them to work hard and actually was the key to the success of the, of the farm. And, uh, of course, uh, I think what, what uh, I'd have to agree with you that that was absolutely shocking to me, but not surprised. But the, it seems like Napoleon certainly used him and really now abused him, and, and I'm sure he made some money off of the, the death of old Boxer. We'll come back to Boxer. But I'd like to go back to Isaac now, and uh, um, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, uh, maybe put this in the, the area of socialism, uh, where you talked about the, uh, the porkers. Essentially, these were the pigs that weren't, you know, they weren't as intelligent as Snowball, and they certainly weren't necessarily power mongers. But, uh, um, and maybe I'll just put this question out to everybody. Do you believe that they really were guilty of what they confessed they were guilty of? Um, I don't. I feel like they were just intimidated by um, Napoleon. They were just intimidated by his dogs. So they just confessed and just gave in when they probably weren't guilty. I mean, we don't even know if Snowball's actually around. I don't think he is. I think he's off somewhere else. Right. But Napoleon is just using him as someone to blame all their problems on. Right. Right. So who else was slaughtered that day? I mean, it's more than just the pigs. There's lots of chickens and, uh, let's see, chickens, sheep, maybe some ducks too, I think. Right. So why did the chickens get, get assaulted? Well, why did they get assassinated, really, or, or exterminated? What did the chickens do? What, what else begins to happen 
once everything starts to go sour. I mean, the farm isn't doing well. Uh, we know that the, the wind knocks down the windmill. And what is one decision that Napoleon makes? What, what, what are they missing on the farm that, that makes the chickens or the hens rebel? And that's what's coming up. There's a rebellion of the hens. What's going on? Napoleon starts taking the uh, chickens' eggs, and they're not that happy about. They're not happy about that. All right. So, so if you remember in the first five chapters, uh, one of the big complaints they made about the humans is they took the chicken eggs, right? That was a big problem, and and that was one of the reasons why they wanted to rebel and take the farm because these these uh, conniving, horrible humans were stealing the eggs, which for a hen meant. They were murdering little chickens, you know, or the, or the peeps, you know, as they would, well, that's what we called them when I was growing up. And so, so when Squealer, I mean, Napoleon never gets his, his, uh, I don't what do you call them, the, the, the hooks or their paws, I guess it's not paws, it's their, I forget the name of it, he gives us in the book, but, uh, oh, he, his trotter, his trotter, yeah. So, so he would never get his own trotters dirty. So he sends Squiller in. And he says, "Hey, and essentially, what happens? They're they're running out of food, and so they need to buy grain. And so the best way to buy grain is to take the eggs and sell them to the humans, which is what they were complaining about in the very beginning. That's what led to the whole rebellion. So, what do the chickens do? They cry, "Hey, this is murder." And so they start their own rebellion. And uh, uh, anybody want to continue now after that? Michael, you seem like you had a, had a thought on that one. Well, they start holding out for nine days, and they don't get any food. And then eventually a couple die, and so they decide to obey and start giving them the eggs. Yes, but what happens to the rest of them then on this big confession day? Uh, well, the three the three ringleaders of the hens they get killed, and then the rebellion is stopped, and then right. they start producing again. Right. So, so the, the so the thing is, uh, who else gets executed during the execution? Um, there's all these confessions. Some of them are really funny. Well, know? the goose gets killed because uh, he took some corn. Right. <laughs> when the one of the commandments is. You should not steal food. Right, right. So, so what? What is the sheep? Why does he get executed? He uh, confessed that he had murdered an old ram. <laughs> right. Okay. There's another sheep gets also gets gets executed. Why does he get executed? Because he urinated in the drinking pool. Apparently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and who told him to urinate in the drinking pool? Snowball. Snowball. Okay. Do you believe it was Snowball? No, I don't. No, no. Okay, so so let's talk about this briefly. So so why do they make all these confessions? And I think uh, Isaac is kind of onto it. What what would make a person confess? Uh, well, one they fear Napoleon and they fear the dogs, and they don't want to stand up and say he's wrong. That's kind of where it's at right now. And so so why would you confess then? I feel like one reason. Well, they're confessing because of the dogs, because they're intimidated. But also, I, I feel like maybe that those animals they had, they did do something wrong, but it wasn't as bad as 
what they actually confessed. I think they I think they wanted to get some kind of not a reward, but some kind of like clemency with Napoleon. Right. That's that's human nature. When when you're when you're being ruled by a tyrant, and they want to have all these confessions, the first thing that that human nature would tell you to do, well, I'll just confess, and then maybe there'll be clemency. But in the socialist system, generally what happens is you get executed. And the reason why people get executed or the animals got executed, because what does it create? What does it create? Creates fear. Creates more fear. Or it really, you know, it, it heightens or, you know, pumps up the tyranny. And so essentially, uh, through Squealer, Napoleon's getting more control over the animals all the time. So, uh, you know, so um, one of the things that I, I thought was uh, kind of shocking, even when I read it, but then when I read it again today, I, I thought it was interesting is, uh, remember he brings Mr. Wimper into the situation. And Mr. Wimper is now the contact with, you know, the, the humans. And so that's really shocking to the animals because they're supposed to hate humans. And yet now they're relying on a human to intercede for them. And the, 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 the thing I thought was interesting is, and again, this is something I think people in this world don't understand about socialism or about you know, Soviet-style communism or Soviet-style socialism, is that Napoleon, and again, remember, he does represent Joseph Stalin, he doesn't want the humans to know that the farm is not productive. He doesn't want to know the humans to know that that it's failing. And uh, actually, you know, the Soviet Union at the time of Stalin, and probably even all the way back to Lenin, they did not want the world to know that it was failing. And uh, I was just reading actually an article by Mr. Armstrong, and uh, uh, this is like back in the 50s. He's saying, look. You know the communists come out and say they're the best. You know they're the best utopia that exists. They're they're the best empire, and people are happy. And he said it's all lies. It's just the opposite. And so Orwell knew that. And so so it's interesting that what Napoleon does is the animals are starving. He's not starving. I mean he's eating mash with milk. You know he's got his apples. But but the thing is is what he does in the in for the supplies of the animals he goes and puts sand in all the bins, and then he lays the grain on top so that when Wimper comes in, he sees that, well, wow, their bins are full. But they're full, of, like three-quarters full of sand. And so, so when, when you put it in the context of Orwell is not just talking about this little story, you know, he's telling, he's telling the world that, look, what socialism tells you is often, often lies. No, so, so anyway, the, the, the other thing I think is in this chapter seven. I I think before we came on the air, I think some one of you were talking about chapter seven is kind of like the pivotal chapter here, and uh, I think that was you, Isaac, actually that said that. And uh, that there's one thing I think we need to understand a little bit more about Boxer in this chapter. So so. Uh, one of the things I think that, that impressed me most about Chapter 7 is that they never let up on trying to ruin Snowball's reputation. That is the theme throughout the whole last six chapters, or the last five chapters, I should say. So, 
So what does Boxer do when they come in to slam Snowball? He's, he's not necessarily the smartest one, but what does he remember? Um, he remembers that Snowball fought bravely in the Battle of Cowshed. All right. And so, so what, is, what does Boxer do? I mean, for not being smart. I mean, here these, all these other people are, what? They're, they're animals. They're confessing sins that don't exist. And what does Boxer stand up and do? He said, um, he actually told Napoleon outright that, quote, I do not believe that Snowball fought bravely at the Battle of the Cowshed. I saw him myself. And then he also mentioned how uh, Snow, or, yeah, Snowball got the animal hero first class immediately afterwards as well. Right, right. So, so the, the thing is, is, is Boxer may not be as intelligent, but, but he is, what would you, how would you describe his character? I feel like he was, he wasn't intelligent, but if he knew that something was right, he stood up for it. Or if he right. thought that something was right, he stood up for it. Right. So, I mean, he had courage there. And he's not going to confess, well, you know, I urinated in the drinking water. You know, he's, he's, he's saying, look, this isn't true. What you're telling me isn't true. So he may not have been intelligent, but he did have good memory. And, and he does this several times. And the, the thing is, I think this is all being added up in Napoleon's mind. And how do you think Napoleon finally gets rid of Boxer? We've already said it. With the slaughter guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Why does he send him to the slaughter guy? Once Boxer wasn't able to work, all Boxer would be able to do would, would be to think in his pasture. So right. he doesn't want people to think for themselves, so we just got rid of him. Yeah. But he's also, isn't he also a threat to Napoleon? He's very much a threat to him because he knows the truth. And essentially, the, I, I think the big thing in the chapter as well is, you know, today on the news, and uh, of course yesterday on the news, um, you know, last night uh, after there was this big protest in Chicago, and they want to take down the statue of, of Christopher Columbus, and President Trump said, no, we're not going to allow that, send in federal agents to stop it. And there was a big protest last night. And after the protest calmed down, everybody went home. The city of Chicago went and removed the statue. And so, so what we're seeing, and Mr. Stephen Flory has been talking about it a lot on you know, Trump and Daily, is they're removing history. They want to remove history. And the thing I think that's this kind of a genius thing about Boxer is that he doesn't want to remove history. He wants to remember the history. But if you notice that when we get into chapter 8, it, it says people begin to forget because there was nothing there to remind them. Go ahead, Michael. I think it's interesting how at the end of chapter 7, um, Napoleon announces that they won't be singing pieces of England anymore and how that was the song of the rebellion and how they're just trying to erase history even more. Right. Good job. Yeah, good point. Go ahead, Isaac. Um, I think it's interesting just kind of going back to that point about Boxer talking about how uh, Snowball fought bravely in the Battle of Cowshed, how um, Squealer, uh, well, Boxer said he was wounded, 
and we, we all saw him running with blood because he was grazed by the gun. But then Squealer cries, but that was part of the arrangement between him and Mr. Jones. Right. That he would shoot him, just graze him, and then he would look like the hero and then tell Mr. Jones to back off whenever. Right. It's, he, that, it's not, it's just erasing the history of what actually happened. They're just changing it so it fits his agenda. Right. Right. I, I think today they would call that the narrative. You know, he uh, he he uh, didn't fit the narrative, and so they're going forward. Okay, Heidi. Um, I also think it's interesting how um, they had Old Major's skull up on a post, and um, um, Napoleon, he had it removed, even though Old Major, he was the one who started the whole rebellion in the first place. Right, right. Because why would Napoleon do that? Heidi, why would he do that? Um, because he want because old major. Um, well, he wanted Napoleon wanted to have all the credit for it, and he didn't want old major to have any. Right. There's there's a, a I, I think one thing that we could add to what Heidi's saying is uh, I'm going to go to go to page seventy seven in the book, and here here's why I think that um, the that the Napoleon got rid of the the, um, the the skull, and again he wants to be the, her- the, the hero. So page seventy six it talks about. Um, I'll just read this: it says Comrade Napoleon and the pigs like to invent for him such titles as Father of all animals, Terror of mankind, Protector of the sheepfold. <laughs> after he had sl- uh, you know, executed the, sle- the sheep, Duckling's friend, and the like. Now Minimus. Who reminds me of the uh, the bad poet in Julius Caesar? He wrote a poem for Napoleon, and it's called "Comrade Napoleon." It says, "Friend of the fatherless, fountain of happiness, Lord of the swill bucket. Oh, how my soul is on fire when I gaze at thy calm and commanding eye, like the sun in the sky, Comrade Napoleon. Thou art the giver of all that the creatures love. Full belly twice a day, clean straw to roll upon." Every beast, great or small, sleeps at peace in his stall. Thou watchest over all, comrade Napoleon. Had I a suckling pig, ere he had grown as big, even as a pint bottle or a rolling pin, he should have learned to be faithful and true to thee. Yes, his first squeak should be, comrade Napoleon. <laughs> so so uh, that's, a, uh, that's Orwell's own poem. But anyway... That's what Napoleon wants. He wants to be worshipped. And uh, that's what Orwell was trying to get across. What did Joseph Stalin want? He wanted to be worshipped. And, of course, Vladimir Lenin, well, get rid of his skull kind of thing. So, all right. So uh, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about, um, uh, let's see, in this Chapter 7, too, um, what is Clover thinking when she sees all these animals executed? There was a commandment that said, uh, no animal shall kill. And right. then she went back and it said, no animal shall kill without cause. Right. Right. Nicole's really good with the mantras. That's really good. She, she picks them up. So, so essentially, um, for all of you out there in, in listener land, um, Clover's regrets are, are in uh, this is uh, I have the illustrated edition of Animal Farm. It's it's a uh, 
it's definitely in chapter seven, but it's it's pages uh, seventy and seventy one, where Clover, who who uh, was very close to um, Boxer, she really begins to regret the revolution altogether, and when it's just shocking to them that they executed their own kind, they executed the animals, and uh, uh, again at the very beginning. Uh, according to animalism, where you don't kill an animal, and so so um, you know th this is really what's happening. I think even with this Black Lives Matter movement, and I can bring another thing in. You know, the mayor of Portland, uh, he's been telling President Trump, "Don't bring any, don't bring any troops into to Portland. Um, we don't need you." And uh, he was out protesting, you know, this all this move along with the other protesters. And actually what happened, and, and I'm really glad the news media got it, they turned on him. And they said, hey, you need to, re you know, you need to resign. You need to get out of here. I mean, they're destroying the city. And so, so in some ways, uh, I wonder if he's not full of a little bit of regret today because his life was in grave danger. Now he had a bodyguard, he had a whole set of bodyguards with him. But, you know, if, if those bodyguards weren't there, who knows what they would have done done to him. So so the thing is that Orwell's also trying to show that even inside, when you have like a, a socialist revolution, even inside, they're gonna eventually they're gonna turn on each other. And, you know, that we're really going to see that happen more and more, um, but we saw it. I mean, uh, when we if we go all the way back to what we experienced, even you know in the worldwide days, you know a lot of those men turned on each other, and then it, there's split after split after split after split, and so so that that happens. So um, uh, what what was the other thing that really may, maybe I should ask? What bothered Clover so much? What did they abolish? They were not allowed to sing it anymore. The Beast of England. The Beast of England. Yes. And so, so, Old Major is dead. The skull's gone. Let's get rid of Beast of England. Because Old Major is the one that promoted that. That was his philosophy. So, so that's gone. So, so anyway, um, I, I think that's, that's really really uh, kind of interesting. All right. Um, I don't know if we need to talk about this more, but Chapter 8 talks a lot about Napoleon and how he becomes more powerful. How does he do that? Let's see if you can remember back to Chapter 8 and how does he take power. He's a pretty good master at it. Napoleon becomes more and more distant from everybody. And it's just him. When he goes out, he's got to have his dogs with him. They're there to protect him. So he's more, he's by himself more and more. And uh, uh, like I already read to you the poem, he's he's taking on all these new titles, and uh, he has other people do his dirty work so that he doesn't look bad. And so so you can see that that uh, when when the dictators take over, this is the way they become. And of course, then he showed up when he did show up in public. He showed up with new medals on, and all of a sudden he was—he got the order, you know, the first 
the, the first order of the, the merits, I guess, that was had been given to Snowball. Now he's wearing it. You know, so, all right. So uh, let's move on just a little bit. We're, we're really going to run out of time. And uh, let's talk about the Battle of the Windmill. I think one interesting thing about the Battle of the Windmill is um, when they're when the humans they run they knock a piece of the windmill off and they start setting the charges the animals they're all waiting they're all looking they're all hiding and then all of a sudden Napoleon gives the command to charge and I think they just charge I think that was kind of pretty courageous just bringing out a good point about that is that they just charged to fight what they built to fight for what they built right they, they they were so loyal, you know. And of course, who who led the way? Napoleon. Right. And then who who was who was right with them? Boxer. Boxer, because Boxer's mantra are his two mantras are. But I will work harder, and Napoleon is always Napoleon's right. Napoleon's always right. All right. So so the, so anyway, there's the there's the battle of the windmill, and it's it's uh it's really they they do uh, they do win, but it's kind of. Uh, not necessarily really a big ce- I mean they, they want to have this big celebration and uh, even Boxer stands up and says uh, you know, Squealer's saying there's going to be this victory celebration and then Boxer says what victory they lost their windmill and so so anyway uh, I really do think that leads to, to Boxer's downfall well students I'm had to, sad to say <laughs> That is all the time we have for today's program. Next time, uh, what I'll have to do for all of you uh, listeners out there, I'll give you some final thoughts on George Orwell's fable, Animal Farm. Now, you can buy Animal Farm at Amazon.com. You can also find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcug.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature one And you can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.